Well, I'm impressed. Some of you stayed up for the fight last night. Anybody watch the fight last night? You got the Warriors in town today, the Giants in town today, but no, you guys are getting gold stars with God for being at church on Sunday morning. Some of you are like, oh, I've been, I wouldn't be here if I knew the Warriors. They've had such a long break. I didn't know they were playing at 1230 today. Short message today. It's good to have a pastor who's a sports fan, so we're rolling. Um, Hey, when I ask this question, just to get us going, been thinking about this all week, here's the question. Is your vision of God's purpose for your life big enough? Is your vision of God's purpose for your life big enough? I'm not asking this morning, does God have a significant purpose for your life? But when you conclude what he wants to do in your life, is your vision of his purpose big enough? Because it's got to be big enough to encounter what seems impossible. It's got to be big enough to get you through opposition and criticism. It must be big enough to allow you to wait in the midst of a delay before he brings something about. And if it isn't big enough, here's the thing for, for most of us in this room. Most of us in this room will follow God up to a point. Does that make sense? Like, hey, I'll do the Sunday thing. I'll do this. I'll even serve a little bit. I'll volunteer. I'll I'll, I'll follow God up to a point. But when it gets to a certain point, I am out. And that's true for most of us in this room. We'll pursue his vision, his purpose up to a point. But here's what I am asking God to do in this season of our church. Just so you know, don't hate me for praying this way. But here's what I'm praying. That whatever the point is right now for each of us in this room, that we say, God, I'm yours. I'm doing this with you, for you, up to this point. What I'm going to pray and what I have been praying. And what I'm going to ask God to continue to do is to remove those points from our lives. That's my hope. Like, you're like, Ben, that's a big aim. That's my aim. That's my hope. I can't do that myself. I can't bring some great leaders and do it. Like, God has to bring us to that point. But I think we will get to that point when we realize his vision for us is big enough to encounter whatever thing we're going to face. For many of us in this room, what happens is we get to a point with following God. We're like, all right, now I'm out, God. I didn't know it was going to cost that much. I didn't know it was going to be that hard. I didn't know it was going to take that long. I didn't know it was going to involve conflict. I didn't know I'd have to face opposition. And my whole idea for today is that if you and I are going to walk into the vision that God's got for our lives, we need it to be big enough to propel us through whatever comes our way. And if you're anything like me, we can all look back in our lives and go, there's a point at which my vision for what God wanted to do in certain seasons of my life, it wasn't big enough to me. It was big to God. It was significant to God, but it wasn't big enough to me. And because it wasn't big enough to me, I bowed out somewhere along the way. And I just want to imagine, if you can imagine with me, what would it look like for God to give us such a robust vision for our lives that he would erase those points where we typically bow out? That's what I want God to do. I'm praying that we would become so um, in awe of who he is and we would become so convinced of his vision and purpose for our lives that it would propel us through anything we might face, even if we had to lay down our very physical lives. Like we just had to lay down our lives as people are doing for their faith and God's purposes all around the world right now, right? Like even if it came to that, that his vision for us would be so robust that it would propel us even through that point, what, what I want to do in just a little bit is open to Numbers chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, 13th chapter of Numbers, Old Testament book, Genesis, Exodus. Got it. Um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll distribute one to you. And this is just an easy way for you to follow along. We'll also have it on the screen up here. And just hold your place in Numbers 13. And the Bibles we're passing out. We're on page 78. But what I want to do... To begin with, for a few minutes, actually, is to give us some historical context so we know what we're walking into this morning. 
This might be a review for you. This might be something you haven't thought about in a long time. It might be something that you don't know. I want to go almost all the way back to where things began. So all the way back in my mind is Genesis like 1 where you've got Adam and Eve. I don't want to go that far back. I want to start in Genesis 12 or so, just giving you a little overview up to the point we're going to walk into Numbers 13 with today. So in Genesis 12, you have this amazing divine call from God to a guy whose name at the time was Abram. You might know his name is Abraham. And God comes to this guy and he says, Abram, I want you to leave everything you've ever known and I want you to go with me to a land that I'll just show you eventually. And Abram leaves everything. Like he walks away from his family, the the area where he spent much of his time and he begins to follow God because God has a big enough vision for his life. And he says to Abraham, I believe it's in Genesis 12, 7, this is such a big deal that for your offspring, they are going to inherit the land known as Canaan. Maybe you also know it as the promised land. The only issue at the time was that Abraham didn't have any offspring. He didn't have any children at the time. And so he had to believe in a vision big enough that would propel him through in times of disbelief and hang in there with God. And finally, God's purpose for him, he gets to realize it maybe 25, 30 years later. And he has children and they become numerous offspring. And God's like, hey, I'm going to take your offspring into the promised land. If you keep going through Genesis, you see some amazing stories. And then you get to this guy named Joseph. And Joseph's got a pretty incredible story. And um, Joseph has a a rough life at times. It starts off well for Joseph. He's loved by his father. You, you, You ever accuse your siblings of being your mom and dad's favorite? You're not really accusing the siblings, you're accusing mom and dad, right? Well, it was actually true for Joseph that that his father um, seemed to love him more than his brothers. And his dad gave him a coat of many Many colors, right? He was doing the many colored thing. He was bright. And he ends up getting hated by his brothers. They're jealous of him. And so his brothers sell him. Now he's a slave. And while he's doing great work as a slave in his master's house, he gets accused of rape. Joseph is someone that embodied the idea we're talking about today. The vision God had for his life was so robust that even when he was being punished, when he was being accused, when he was sitting in prison night after night after night, he knew that the vision was so big that God hadn't bowed out on him and he wasn't going to bow out on God. That's the kind of big enough vision we're talking about. But you get to the end of Joseph's story and finally all of the terribly negative things that took place in his life, it finally comes positive, right? And if you're like me, some of, some of you, when you go to movies, you're like, oh, it's probably going to have a happy ending. And I'm like, man, I didn't pay 12 bucks if it doesn't, right? You know, like there's no reason. Some of you are like, no, Ben, it should stay in tension. Listen, I'm just a purist when it comes to how movies should wrap up. I need a happy scene at the end. Anybody else? All of you now are like going to write blogs about, I can't believe my pastor, he doesn't understand tension and he doesn't understand, like he he wants everything to be tight, you know, nicely wrapped up. I do. That's me. And thankfully for Joseph, that's his story. Genesis 50, 20, he says to his brothers, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good, that you would be kept alive and that I could help keep our people alive for such a time as this when they're in the famine. And so you see Joseph, big enough vision from God, propels him through some incredibly, incredibly difficult times. But then Joseph dies and that same Pharaoh who he became second in power to, he dies. And then the text says as Exodus begins, another Pharaoh comes into power and he did not know Joseph. And this Pharaoh who comes into power realizes that the Israelites are taking over Egypt. Anybody work for a boss with a lot of power and control issues? I'm always hopeful that my staff doesn't raise their hand during this moment. That's the, just keep the facade up for me, please. Um, and, and so this, he's like, we've got to control this. There are too many Jews here taking over Egypt. We've got to do something about it. And so he enslaves all of them. And so 
they are enslaved for like 430 years, and so they are just making brick after brick, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. I don't know. That just doesn't sound fun to me. And so that's what they're doing. And then God has this no, uh, uh, another divine call uh, to a guy named Moses, and he's like, Moses, here's the thing. I want you to go to the most powerful person on the planet. I want you to free my people and bring them out of Egypt. And Moses is like, of course, God, I'm all that. And no, no, he's not like that at all. He's like, God, I can't even really speak. You know what I'm saying? God's like, perfect. I'll take you. And so he finally convinces him. He sends his brother Aaron with Moses. And, and, and he goes to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the known world at the time. And he says to let God's people go. And God, through Moses, sends these 10 plagues. And finally, on the 10th one, um, Pharaoh's like, all right, enough is enough. You can go get out of here. And so they begin to head towards the promised land. And as time goes by, of course, they're getting closer to the land of Canaan. And then Moses is told by God, another little calling moment, Moses, I want you to send 12 spies, one from each of the tribes, and I want you to send them to Canaan, send them on ahead of the rest of the group. And by the way, the group, some estimates have this group of Israelites, now about 2 million people, okay? Not a small leadership thing. These 12 guys, these 12 uh, are, are supposed to go and spy out the land of Canaan and bring a report back to Moses and the rest of the group. And the, the thing Moses wanted to know is like, hey, are, are the people there big or small? Um, is the land rich or poor? What is the fruit like in the land? Is the city and town, is the town? Is it well fortified or what's, what's the situation? And so 40 days, they spy out the land and they come back and they give this report to Moses. And here's the report. And I want to share this report with you because it's, it, when God has a purpose for you, I believe there's always the two sides to it. And, and it's exemplified in this report. Here, here's the two things. They basically said um, what, what God has waiting for us is amazing. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That might, ex- not, might not excite us this morning. That was a big deal back then, okay? Milk and honey, good things. You're thinking like honey nut Cheerio and milk bin. That's just not worth it. It's a little better to them than that. And there's great fruit in the land. So destination from God, amazing. But the people there are huge. The town is well fortified. We are like grasshoppers to them, Okay. And why I share that with you is this. When God has something he wants to do in your life, it's going to involve, I believe, an amazing destination, but never without opposition. So I want you to stand with me. I want to look at Numbers 13, starting in verse 30, and read through 14, verse 11. A little lengthy text, but I want us not to miss out on some key things in this passage. And here's what you've got to know. God's purpose for these 12 individuals was one and the same. They all had the same purpose, but their response to God could not have been more different than it was. And you'll see it here. Numbers 13, verse 30. Remember, there's 12 spies. Here's one of them. But Caleb, that's one of them, quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. You ever have employees do that? Like it's a project they don't want to work on, so they tell you it's the worst idea ever? It's like, yeah, okay, they, they, they're a little, they're a little bit biased maybe. Okay, I've never done that. Maybe you guys have. And so they're like, and it's a bad report of the land that they had spied out, say, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Like the ground just opens up, they're saying, and people fall in. And the, and the people we saw in it are of great height. I'm like, there's got to be some shorty among the group. But anyway, um, there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Verse 1 of 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Isn't that funny? Like these guys are tough guys. They're like, yeah, I'm fine, but my wife and kids. No, bro, you're scared. You are scared. Verse 4. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation, kind of a brave heart moment here, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Here's verse 11 where we'll end. And the Lord said to Moses, how long, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? You may be seated. I think there's a lot of rich things for us to get from the text and from this question. Is your vision of God's purpose for your life big enough? Is it big enough to withstand the things that might come your way? Again, there's one purpose for everyone here, okay? How many purposes are there? One. Did they all see the same land those 40 days? I'm going to help you out if you look up. I'm just going to give you the answer. Your heart doesn't need to beat fast. What if I get it wrong? All right. Did they all see the same land? Did they all have the same response? Nah, see? Um, They didn't have the same response. They all had the same calling, the same purpose. They saw the same things. They heard the same voice of God, but they responded in completely opposite ways. Look at 13 verses 30 and 31. They're they're representative of the two responses, of the majority and the minority. By the way, um, Caleb's response is also the the response of Joshua, and the other ten have a different response. In verse 30, Caleb quiets him down. He says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. I've been there. I spied it out. I've heard the voice of God. I know we can do this. Verse 31, though, the others say what? No way, man. No way. We're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. They are stronger than we are. One purpose, two very different responses. And what you have to know is this. It's not just that God had a purpose for these 12 people, but God was using these 12 people because he not only had a purpose for their lives, but he had a purpose for the 2 million other people, some estimates say, that are part of this tribe and clan at this time. When you don't step into what God has for you, you're like, oh, I guess I'll miss out. No, we'll miss out. The world will miss out. Your family will miss out. Your friends will miss out. The 12 people, they weren't just going, oh, I'm afraid it's going to, I guess I'll have to miss out. No, if they don't step into it, then all of the people that they represent, hundreds of thousands of people that they represent, we're going to have to miss out on it too. And so you need to know if you don't have a vision from God that's big enough, not his vision a problem, but your interpretation of his vision for your life, if it isn't big enough, then it's not just going to affect you, it's going to affect many other people. Is your vision big enough? And you see the response, the minority, they're like, if we try this, it's over for us. But the response of Joshua and Caleb is what? If we try this, it's over for them. Do you see the difference? They saw the same things. They heard the same things. They responded completely different. Caleb and Joshua are going, listen, if God's in the midst of this, let's go. 
The others were like, I don't care if God's in the midst of this. I'm not in it. And for some of you right now, some of us right now, we rationalize away what God wants to do with us because like, oh, it doesn't seem possible. Or, or, or we say, no, that doesn't seem wise. And God's going, listen, I'm not asking you to size things up by how you um, equalize things. I want you to use my measurements. And if I'm on your side, guess what? All bets are now off. And he's like, no, we, don't, we can't do it. We can't go up against them. The verse 31, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. The majority, they do not have weak facts. They just have weak faith. Is it a fact? Like, hey, yeah, there are giants in the land. There's nothing wrong with the facts that they present to the group. But they tilt their interpretation of the facts. So they hear the same thing from God. They see the same thing over those 40 days. And they're like, listen, I've seen too much. There's no way we can go up against it. And Joshua and Caleb are like, wait a minute. They are stronger than we are, but they are not stronger than God is. If you're going to pursue God's vision and purpose for your life, you're going to encounter things that are stronger than you. Yes, even as smart as you are, as experienced as you are, as high-tech as you are, as finance business-oriented as you are, as amazing as you are, you are going to, I am going to, we as a church are going to encounter things that are stronger than us, but we must not forget that we'll never one day, not for a second, encounter something that's got God beat. And some of us are living our lives as though God doesn't exist. You're like, Ben, listen, no, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm singing to God. I'm in small group. I'm serving throughout the city yesterday. Well, let me ask you this. Why, when I look at your decision-making or you look at my decision-making, it looks like God's not in the equation? Just me. I feel like God has given us a word this morning. I was planning to talk about something different and normally i really like being well thought out planned and prepared but tuesday night god just began to birth this message in my heart i hope it's one that is for us i hope it's one that's for us i think i think that it is and so you go into chapter 14 and they're like oh this is you know this is the worst it's like um verse two they're like hey we should have died in egypt i mean how bad must things be if you're choosing to die in egypt they had been enslaved, making bricks forever and ever. I don't know if you've ever been a brick maker. I never have. You guys know I'm not handy. Home Depot's like, you can do it and we can help. I'm like, you can do it and I can pay. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's the exchange. But they're making brick day after day, and they do this for like four centuries, okay? Four hours, I'm done. Four minutes, I'm done. But four centuries, 400 plus years, and now, because they're so afraid of what's unfamiliar, they're so afraid of what awaits them, even though God's like, go take the land, they're like, let's go back to Egypt. And and, and in verse 3, they're like, our wives and our little ones. Like, listen, man, don't blame it on your wife and your kids. It's such a man, right? Ladies, don't you want that kind of man? Like, man, he owns up to everything. Like, listen, we would go, God, but it's our kids and our wives. No, they're terrified. They don't think they stand a chance. They've heard the voice of God, and they still don't want any part of it. And then they say, to blame it on God, like, why would God bring us here if he's going to kill us? Because we don't know the whole story, we fail to trust a God who does. Some of you are miserable right now. You don't like living here. You don't like working at your job. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying quit pretending it's the whole story. Quit thinking this is it. 
they want to bow out, they, and they want to miss out on what God wants to do. And some of you, you're going to rationalize it, you're justifying it, and what's going to happen is you're going to maybe get the applause of the world, but you're going to miss out on what God wants to applaud you for. In verse 4, I love this language. Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Um, that's leadership, isn't it? Like, hey, we want to regress. We want to go back to slavery. We think oppression would be a great idea. Will someone take us there? You see how ridiculous this is? And yet some of us, God's rescued us from something. He's freed us from something. He's asked us to move forward into something. And we're like, no, um, going back is more familiar. It's terrible, but it's familiar. It's a job I've hated for 30 years, but it's familiar. It's a dating relationship I know is unhealthy for me, but at least it's familiar. Anybody? How many of us are trying to go back when God is calling us to step into something brand new? How many of us are trying to go back when God is asking us to step into something brand new? And they keep going through the text and verse 8, they're like, listen, if the Lord delights in us, this can happen. Your translation may say, if the Lord is pleased with us, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Now, this is a really important thing we don't need to miss. Make sure that the vision you're pursuing and staking your life on is from him, and it's his idea and not just yours. Okay? Us pursuing what we want to pursue and asking God to douse it with a little bit of blessing is crazy. God wants to bless his ideas. He wants to bless what's close to his heart. He wants to bless the advancing of his kingdom, not mine, not yours. If the Lord delights, well, some of you would say, and it'd be a great question, Ben, okay, I want to do what God wants me to do, but how do I know if he delights in it? Good question. See, sometimes when we're waiting for the specific things that God's called us to do, we pretend like we've not been given any revelation at all. Anybody? You're like, God, who should I marry? Well, I'm going to tell you what kind of person. God, what kind of work should I do? Well, I'm going to tell you the attitude you should have when you do it. What does God delight in? He delights in humility. He delights in justice. He delights in teachability from us. He delights in advancing his mission. He delights in seeing people come to faith. He delights in seeing the poor taken care of. He delights in things that are on his heart. He loves unity. He loves justice. He loves advancing the mission of God in the world. And so why don't you just start stepping into things that fit that description? Let's not pretend like we don't know what God loves. Now I realize there are some nuances to those situations, right? Well, Ben, which company do I work for? Maybe we should just be the right kind of people and give our time and attention and effort to that more than we're asking the questions of specificity. I think God cares who you marry, right? Like, don't just go down the road like, man, the pastor said, as long as I'm a good husband, I can just take anybody for a wife. <laughs> Some of you have gone that route. You need to stop. <laughs> just telling it like it is. I always make sure I don't look at anyone's face because everybody's like, oh, you were talking to me. <laughs> conviction hurts you know what I'm saying like hey if the Lord delights in us and then look at verse 9 because I want to really speak into how you and I try to justify or rationalize thing in verse 9 Joshua and Caleb say to the rest of them don't rebel against the Lord don't rebel against the Lord what we would say if we were part of the minority if we were those 10 you know what we might say like hey I'm just risk averse I'm just logical 
I don't have the crazy personality that Joshua and Caleb have. Anybody? And they're saying, no, that's not a personality issue. That's a rebellion against God issue. No, no, you don't understand. I got a few excuses you've never heard. He's like, no, you're, you're rebelling against God. What do you mean I'm rebelling against God? Because God said he wants to take you to a place and you're telling him, I don't want to go. And you're assuming that what God's going to take you into is going to be bad for you. You don't know the heart of God. He's like, step into it. Don't rebel against the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 9 and he says, Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So it's a couple of phrases we need to get down. Kind of the cause-effect relationship. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do not fear it. Do not fear that group. Do not fear the future. The Lord is with us, and that's what matters. Most of us, for me, my fear comes from this lack of belief that God's really in my midst. The Lord is with me. Do not fear. The Lord is with you. Do not fear. Paul said it this way to the Romans in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The psalmist said something very similar in Psalm 27.1. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let me ask you this question. What would you be doing in your life right now if you were convinced that God was with you in it? What would you be doing in your life right now if you were convinced that God was with you in it? And then just to say, what, what does God need to do to convince you? Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send my spirit to live in you. He will convict you of sin. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. What would you be doing right now? What would you be starting if you were convinced? What would you be leaving? Who would you be asking to go for it with you? What kind of peace would you sleep with at night? How high would your confidence be? So we need a vision for God's purpose for our lives that are big enough, a vision that's big enough that it will propel us through whatever comes. Now, most of us, it's not going to be rescuing 2 million people from slavery in Egypt. But it's going to be something significant. Significant by the world standards? Not necessarily. Significant in a, like, it'll make you a Christian celebrity? I hope not. Significant in, this is what God created you to do. Ephesians 2.10, that he created you to do good works, which he planned long ago. This is what he wants you to walk in. Who's walking in it? Who's convinced that he's in the midst of us? This is what he's called us to do. And so maybe your thing is that you no longer live for what the world says is accomplishment. You start moving towards what God says is an accomplishment. For, for you, maybe you're like, oh, I'm just a mom. I heard Andy Stanley say, which I thought was great. He's like, listen, the, your most important con- contribution to the world might not be what you do, but who you raise. Maybe it's just helping out someone through mentorship or coaching. What has he called you to do? And is it a vision that's big enough that will allow you to, to stay in it when it's hard? Is it big enough to propel you through anything that you might face? Is it, is it bigger than the sacrifices you'll have to make? Is it bigger than your temptation to live for comfort? Is it bigger than your desire to have the world applaud for you? Is it bigger than the paycheck you have to leave to move forward into what he's called you to do? Is it bigger than the opposition and, and the, uh, the persecution that might come your way if you move into it? Is it bigger than the seasons of delay or even failure that you might have to go through before you have that breakthrough moment like Joseph had? Is it big enough? And part of where God birthed this in me over this past week is just thinking over the last few weeks that work has just begun to seem like work. Anybody else? Like, Ben, what do you mean? 
what I mean is that when I have my vision shrunk from what God's called me to do with my life, then this other stuff just isn't worth it. Pain's not worth it. The time's not worth it. The cost of living's not worth it. The inconveniences aren't worth it. Opposition. People disagreeing. People betraying you. Coming up with a fresh talk every single week. Like, it's just not worth it. You know what I mean? If like God was just saying to me, Ben, the reason this just feels like it's pointless is because your vision has shrunk. And it's time to allow your vision to enlarge and be big enough so that it will propel you through whatever I want to do in your family and whatever I want to do in the Epic Church community. And I want to have a vision that's the forefront of my mind that's big enough that whatever the cost might be, I'm willing to pay it. Whatever the weight might be, I'm willing to delay it. Whatever the challenge might be, I'm willing to go up against it. Anybody else? Aren't you tired of doing things with your life just like, what's the point? If there's breath in your lungs, then hopefully there is. Otherwise, it becomes an emergency moment. I think God's purpose for you is still intact. I don't know what you've had to forfeit, but I don't think you've had to forfeit at all. I think there's still something that he wants to do in you and use you to do for others. But if your vision isn't big enough, if my vision isn't big enough, if we won't trust God to get us through whatever it is that comes our way, then for you and I, if that's us, then it is already over. And we're just sort of existing. And God didn't create you to exist. He didn't create you just to do what every other American ever does, work and then retire and then play golf if you can do that. I mean, like, like, he's got more. He's got more. And what I want to leave you with is what God does to us when he wants us to have a high confidence in what he's calling us to do. This has been just, just came off the page this past week. So what happens with these 12 spies, 10 of them never make it to the promised land forfeited it. Did they have a purpose from God to make it? Yep. Did they make it? Nope. Two made it. Joshua and Caleb. Surprise, surprise. That's why you never hear any kids named the other 10 names, right? Now, they're strange names to start with, but you're never going to hear like, oh, I want my kid to be named like that. Joshua and Caleb make it. And the way Joshua's leadership starts in this role as leader, God comes to him and says, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. It's time for you to step up. And to lead these people into the promised land. And do you know what God stressed to build confidence in Joshua? He didn't stress strategy. He didn't pat Joshua on the back and tell him how amazing he would be and how he had been grooming him for this job all along, though I think he had. You know what he did? Let me just give you some highlights from Joshua chapter 1, the first nine verses. Here's here's, Here's what God did to stress to Joshua for his confidence building. Joshua, I will be with you. Joshua, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Joshua, wherever you step, you'll have success. Joshua, be strong and courageous for wherever you go, I'm in the midst of it. It's the same thing that God did with Moses back in the day. Moses was going to be, God was calling Moses to lead um, these people. And Moses said, like, how can I do that unless you go with us? And God's like, Moses, that's a really great question. You can't, but I'll go with you. My presence will be with you. My favor will be with you. Remember what Jesus said? He went to the cross. Resurrection happened. Some of his last words to the disciples we know is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And here's what he said. Hey, guys, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Boom, there's your mission. You know he didn't put a period there? Do you know what else he said? And here's what you really need to know as you carry this mission out. What? And behold... I am with you. 
So strategy is important. Your skill set, it is important. Your passion, it's important. But what Joshua learned, what Abraham learned, what Joseph learned, what Jesus himself said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. What they all would say is the biggest thing and the mission that we've been given is God is with you. It's time to start living that way. Guys, when we encounter problems, many of us are responding to those problems as if there is no God, and if there is, he's not with us. And we need to respond alternatively to the way the world does. For some of us, it's not that our vision of God's purpose for our lives isn't big enough. It's that our vision of God himself isn't big enough. Jesus had a big enough vision for his life that it propelled him through loneliness, homelessness, poverty, betrayal of his best friends, agonizing and brutal death on a cross. His vision was big enough. It propelled him through the hardest thing, which was separation from his father. And he gave us this amazing example. Listen, when the vision from the Lord is big enough, then whatever the price is, however long the delay is, whatever the process is, whoever comes against you, it will be worth it. And it's time for you and I to start living like it is. Pray with me. God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you just for this reminder that when you're in the midst of us, that, that tilts the equation. And God, forgive me, forgive us when we live as if you don't exist, or if you do, you're not in it with us. God also asks that you would forgive us when we pursue visions that aren't from you and kind of make them up ourselves. God, I pray you would enlarge the visions in our heart for what you want to do in our lives. And this is not about having something that the world thinks big and huge and successful. It's about being faithful to what you've called us to do. God, you know, in this epic church community, there's amazing talent. There's amazing achievement, accomplishment, wealth, skill, experience. But God, we don't want to be applauded by the world for doing what seems logical. We want to one day be applauded for you for doing the things you created us to do. Help us to step into that. Jesus, I pray for anyone who's not understood how big your vision is for them, that you would go through separation from your father, live in poverty, hang on a cross. God, I pray that they would see the beauty of what Jesus has done for them. That would be a game changer. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we just sing a response song to what we've heard?